inspiration. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Unchained Inspiration, Episode 6, Live Purely in the Present. Now, last week, we kind of took a look at how valuable it is to really kind of plan and and set some goals, but you don't want to over plan. You still want to be able to give yourself the courage to live in the moment and really embrace what the opportunity of the present has. And that takes courage. And uh, today I have a good friend of mine, Cassidy. She's in studio with us and she's going to kind of unbundle the recent adventure she's been on traveling around the world and all the sorts of exciting moments that she's had during that time and the courage the sheer courage it takes to be able to give yourself enough permission to just live in that moment and that is something that I'm really focused at balancing between both planning and really appreciating every moment for what it truly is so it's so exciting to have you in studio it's been ages since the two of us have actually been able to sit down together and enjoy a good conversation so welcome in into studio seven thank you i'm glad to be here i'm excited how are you doing i'm good how are you (laughs) i i'm kind of this bundle of energy all of a sudden i just I was having a bit of a slow day where I was feeling, I woke up, I got busy, was really kind of energetic to start my day, and then the afternoon lull kind of crept in on me, and I was feeling a bit sluggish, and you kind of walked in the door, and this whole surge of excitement uh, came over that I get to sit down with you and really kind of uh, discover the adventure you've just recently been on. When I first got to know you, you were very reserved, but I could see every time I spoke to you, you were taking everything in. Now, there's been a real paradigm shift with you when you've just, you've just really kind of gone the exact opposite direction. Was there a turning point in your life that you could identify that you decided to go and tackle the world rather than just observe it? Um, well, I think a major, probably the most major turning point in my life where I started seeing life as like reality instead of just you're going through your day to day is when my dad got diagnosed with cancer. I think that gave, I was quite young at the time. I was in grade 10 and I have two younger siblings. So it was just a eye-opening experience to see like how like fragile life really is. And I'm glad I got to experience that because I'm completely a different person now. But it also gave me quite a few challenges to have to work through that at the time didn't seem beneficial, but now I understand a lot more about that. But yeah, I'd have to say that would be the biggest turning point in my life. So you've identified that you've kind of come across these lessons, even though they weren't pleasant as you were going forward. Is there like... Is there one lesson that you kind of treasure more than the others? Um, Yeah, I think, I wouldn't say it's mostly a lesson, but I just think as like humans, we're going to go, we go through so much good and we go through so much bad, but we mostly focus on the bad. Like when you're going through your day to day, we often get hung up, like we could have an amazing, amazing day. 
and then something bad happens and that's all we think about for the rest of the day and that one one minute interaction overtakes our entire day so like when you're coming from like a, ho a home where one of your parents are sick or something you have like it's not just a minute it's like four hours of your day and like or two hours in the morning before you go to school you go to you go to school and then you come home and then that's your day so it's not just one minute of your day it's two hours of your day and three or four hours of your night so uh, I just think that it gave me a completely new perspective about how to deal with challenges and that's uh, probably the most transformational thing that I could ever have learned and I'm glad I've learned it yeah it, I think you're setting yourself years ahead of a lot of us by just recognizing that those valuable moments in your day really will set the tone for the path that you're going on so do you have any like I pulled you away from your studies today <laughs> you you dropped your homework to come and sit in studio with me and record this podcast has there been kind of that really exciting moment today that you you're carrying forward oh no this is the highlight of my day <laughs> i was looking forward to this for i don't know since you messaged me about it i'm excited i like the concept of what you're doing and i think it's really good how you're just appreciating those people who are transforming your life because we all have people who are trans who've inspired us in ways that they would never know but i like how you're taking these people and then allowing other people to learn from them too because now you're expanding your your reach to other people and that's it's taking what you love and help using it to help other people as well yeah and, and it's funny that you say that that the the core was a bit more on the selfish end i wasn't intentionally putting these podcasts out to help other people if they find motivation if they can all of a sudden take some something from each one of my guests or the stories that we share and it sparks an, an inspiration in themselves, that's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was my way of recognizing where I've come from and reevaluating where I'd like to go. When you're younger, you kind of are given a bit of a script. At least I felt that I was always given a script that you kind of go through school and then once you're done your basic uh, school general school you'll end up specializing a bit more by going to university or college or trade school and once you've uh, obtained those credentials you go into the workforce you start working you have a family and off you go I don't seem to follow the path very well I'm one of those wanderers in life that likes to step off the trail every so often and not being able to have a family with children changes the dynamic for ourselves and we have to we have to reinvent ourselves and that's kind of this whole process for myself is looking back and thanking everyone that has been just a real positive influence in my life even though the circumstances of people that I'll eventually pull on to the podcast might have influenced me in an inspirational way even though like you said you don't always find it the lesson that you learn at the time being that pleasant it's after the situations kind of fully presented itself you uh, you can appreciate the circumstance in a much broader larger weighted category one of my biggest things to overcome was just letting people know that like I really appreciate them mm -hmm. and that 
that allows myself to identify what I'm valuing as a person and bringing it forward and then pulling them in and saying, I've learned something from you. I really appreciate that. I want you to know that what you're doing is amazing and you need to keep doing it. You're doing this. And it was recently that you decided that before the whole, whole COVID uh, pandemic swept the world, you decided that you were going to give a comfortable city job up and travel. Yes, I did. It's one of the, it was the best decision I ever made. Um, yeah, going into it, I was very naive. I have traveled to, prior to traveling overseas, I went to Disneyland twice and Mexico once. So I didn't go very, I didn't venture very far, but I was at the point in my life where I was ready for my bubble to burst, and it did. And I'm very, all, everything I've just seen and learned in such a short amount of time has impacted my life so dramatically. I'm so grateful that I've been able to experience all these different places and different people and just how I live my life now reflects all my experience and my past and all of that. What prompted you to decide this trip was necessary for you? Well, I did not know what I wanted to do in school and I didn't want to go back to school after going to school for too many years. And I don't, I just, you don't really know life outside school until you go and experience that and even just like just a regular city job like I took a few months off before I left and I just worked and I didn't go to school and just it was so different than because I've I've played sports too throughout my entire school so I didn't have much free time or much personal time I was always just I was on a frequent schedule waking up at six in the morning go to school have two hours of basketball practice a night, then two hours of volleyball practice, come home, homework, go to bed, wake up, and I'd do that every single day. And then on Friday, I would wake up at 6, go to school, go to a tournament till Saturday, come home, Sunday do all homework, and then I'd do it all again over for, like, I don't know, that was from grade 7 to grade 12, I did that. But you were successful. R routine really helped shape you in that area and I feel that the sports and the routine and everything really set you up for some amazing traits and qualities. It was like you were learning how to navigate uh, discipline for yourself so you could go off and achieve and it was like I, I could just see as you would show up at work and we would start talking about what other things you could be doing and where you were going that you you needed to go and really cut a path for yourself and you have so this journey across the world started in january if i remember correctly mm -hmm, in january where did you go in january i flew to thailand yes i actually flew through china i had a quite a layover in china in january so that made a little. That made things harder down the line because I had a Chinese, pa or I had a Chinese visa stamp on my passport, and this was in 
peak corona time, so. Right, but it was I, just yeah. coming into the news the whole time, and I remember uh, hopping on Facebook, and this is the this is what I love so much about technology right now, and I know there are the conspiracy theorists that worry that everyone's tracking you and you're being programmed, but the fact that you and I were able to message each other once in a while when you were, who knows where you were in the world, in almost exact live time was phenomenal. And I remember thinking that it's interesting, you were in ground zero mm -hmm. yeah. at that time. So what was it like? You arrive at the airport? Um, well, like, are you talking about just when I flew through China or? Yeah, I've never been. Um, I mean, I didn't go out of the airport, but um, at the time I didn't know anything about COVID because it was, for, I think it was my second week in there, my first week in Thailand, end of the first week, then everybody started getting information about COVID and starting to, there's an outbreak in China and that we have to start wearing masks. And this was in January and nobody yeah. really knew about that. Well, I think there people might have known about that here, but it wasn't as big of a deal. No, it seemed like it was in a completely far off land, mm -hmm. almost a fictitious, fictitious land that we were like, it won't come here. Yeah, but Lara, yeah, it was honestly, I was like, I didn't even think it was going to leave China. But then I was thinking, I'm like, oh my God, I have a... A visa stamp on my passport about that I was in China. I was in Shanghai, and that's like, that's yeah. I was kind of worried about that, but how was it being plunked into the middle of China, where the the language is extremely different than English, the uh, the text. I'm not sure if you'd be able to even read anything there. What was that like? Um, well, I was, thankfully, I was only there for, I think, like, seven or eight hours. So I had to go through immigration and everything. So I have to leave immigration and border. So I have to go through customs, and then I do legally enter China, and I have a visa to, like, enter China. But then I go out through the airport, and I go back in, and then I have to stay okay. in the airport for, like, eight hours. But I, if I recall, they had things in English underneath the, like... Chinese, but it's very overwhelming, and especially since you're like in a for you're in a foreign land, like completely foreign land. You yeah. there's nobody to help you no. except for yourself. But I now I I remember I was running through the airport. I was like I don't know where I'm going. I ran around the airport so many times because I didn't know where my gate was, and there is like you can't even ask anybody because they're not they don't care. Like they they would help you, but like they they don't unless you find another person who speaks English, which I don't even think it was like two in the morning in China there, so there wasn't very okay. many people there, but I, I was overwhelmed at first. The airports were probably the most overwhelming thing for me, because I didn't... Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think the initial, initially, not at the end, mm -hmm. well, I guess at the end too it was overwhelming because I had to get my... Oh, so many stories. <laughs> I guess it was overwhelming at the end too, because I didn't know if I was going to be able to come home. So that was overwhelming too. But just like actually finding my gate and stuff, that wasn't that hard. I guess we should really kind of like um, set the precedent on why you chose to go to Thailand and what your game plan was originally from that. And it evolved, like as, as your journey happened, it, it kept evolving. But what was your, when you set out on this course, what was your plan? 
Um, initially, I had no plan. I didn't know what I was doing, so I looked at a few countries. I had not a clue at all what I was doing. So I just looked up stuff. I did as much research as I could. I looked at like blogs, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Found out like information about hostels and backpacking. Then I kind of went from there. So I started out and I volunteered. That was my okay. first thing that I flew into Thailand. I took, stayed overnight in Chiang Mai and then I took a bus to Chiang Rai and then I went to a village in Chiang, rural Chiang Rai and I stayed there for I think three and a half weeks. Wow and, and you're volunteering doing what exactly? So I did child it's like uh, child care but it was so it's like preschool kinder, it's kindergarten project okay. so I worked with little kids and I taught them English and just like basic like it was like babysitting but I also taught English so like we did like words um, like uh, manners and all that stuff but it was in English and Thai so they would do we had um, like student teachers that were Thai and then they did they taught it in Thai and then we did it in English and so it was both so I actually kind of got to learn a little bit of the <laughs> language too I don't remember it now but at the time I did <laughs> That's funny, uh, the other day we were talking about languages you pick up when you travel and when I lived in the Czech Republic, I, I was explaining it this way that when you pick up a language, it's almost like the first words and sentences you learn are the last words and sentences that leave your mind. It's, it's the more advanced stuff that seems to slip away first. And I'll never forget my, and I'm sure I'm going to kill this right now, my first sentence that I ever spoke in the Czech Republic was Muju Dwatstat Tizlopiet, which it loosely translated is simply, I'd like another number five, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you find out the basics. It's kind of just what gets you by. Yeah. But actually, a lot of people spoke English there, so I was not hard done by it. But English is spoken everywhere, so. That's, that's kind of reassuring, or, well, reassuring and... and kind of scary yeah like mm. it's spreading it's everywhere everybody know everybody knows how to speak English and except for well not everybody but a majority of people know how to speak English or have it as their second language or a loose second language and here we are sitting in Western Canada with just one just language. English yeah, yeah. I, I I'm gonna learn a second language because so which language do you want to learn Spanish why hmm well, I would like to learn French, but Canadian French isn't actually real French. It is. <laughs> it, it is. It, it uh, depends on which, which part of the world you live in. I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's. It is Canadian French, but. It's like a dialect. It's it is a dialect. It's like there's a lot of slang in it, and it would be. I wish I could learn it. I could. I can learn it, but I'd like to learn Spanish because I would like to live in Spain. So. That's where I did I'm you get to spend that. some time in Spain? No, I would my I would like to go to Spain, but that's all my. If oh, once I get my degree, and that's where I would like to go for a few years just to live there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go around there. So, that's my application, or or Mexico actually. I've heard a lot of people say amazing things about backpacking in Mexico, and I'd like to do that too. I got to spend a little South bit America. of. I got to spend a little bit of time in Mexico um, a couple of years ago, and 
I really enjoyed it. Mind you, I love, I love, so I'm a foodie and absolutely love Mexican cuisine, but I like cuisine with like lots of vegetables and spice and um, it, it kind of is, it gets us out of the pastas and the, mm -hmm. the comfort food that we're so accustomed to here in Canada. Now, you spent time volunteering at this school mm -hmm. and so three weeks goes by, you've done your volunteering now we're, where are we off to and what's your game plan? Um, well, I, this is where I was, had no plan at all. I was supposed to go after Thailand. I was supposed to volunteer for three weeks and then go to New Zealand. And I had a work visa. So I have a work visa, even still currently, for Australia, New Zealand, uh, Australia, New Zealand. And then I have visas for other places, but they're not work visas. But I was supposed to go to New Zealand afterwards. But then I decided to stay in Thailand for, I think it was another two weeks on my visa and use the rest of it up because I only stayed in, I volunteered in Northern Thailand mm -hmm. and every weekend. So we lived in like a village. It was like, it wasn't like a hostel or anything. It was like a, it was like a, I don't know how to describe it. But it was a community of locals that like have built their houses over around this little area and every day we'd go to the schools in a bus so it was like a community in like it was really really interesting it was a community in the hills that all functioned through this volunteer organization so they were all given jobs through the organization they all had roles it was like a family it was really cool almost like a co-op yeah so everybody like there's different types of volunteering that you could do and they all had roles and that was really cool but I didn't I wanted to go into the south of Thailand okay so I went down to the south, and I went to the islands. I went to Copenhagen, um, Koh Tao, Phuket, and oh, where's the other one? I'm not sure. I can't remember the other name. But then I went down there for a little bit, and I got to go to the full moon party. That was interesting. Um, what is the full moon party? So the full moon party is like... Um, so it's like, it's a tradition that like they celebrate the full moon as like a, a ritual and they have this huge party. It's basically just for tourists, but then the locals like make a lot of money off of tourists and stuff. So this is huge beach party. It's the entire beach, which is, it, it's, I didn't enjoy it because I, that's just not my forte. And I also kind of thought it was a little bit backwards because there's just like like so many people like packed beach like there's like five different stages of, along this entire beach and it was packed with people and so like the next morning there's trash everywhere and I was like oh, oh. but that's just the way I, I I'm sure there's lots of people who had fun there too but yeah um so then there is that um it's just a very interesting experience I I think you'd have to see it for yourself it's very beautiful everyone wears like colors and Everything's lit up. It's beautiful, but I, I love looking at National Geographic photos and when I see photos out of Thailand and, and these really exotic places Yeah, the, the colors pop and everything looks incredible and For me, it's just so important to make sure that I have these conversations with people that have been there and What they recommend and, and where they want to where they would encourage me to kind of check things out I'd love to go and check out this full moon party. Mm-hmm 
I think the coolest part about it, it wasn't just like young people. It was of all, like all ages went there and then you just partied until the night, until the sun went up. I did not do that because I was alone. Well, I did, wasn't alone, but I, I met some people down there that I knew, but I was alone and I didn't want to get like very intoxicated because I didn't want to get drugged because that you can get drugged really easily. Okay. And I did not want to do that. No, it's it was it's real. It's so beautiful. I think the highlight of my stay in Copenhagen is the next day we actually got to go and tour around the entire island and see beautiful temples, like the most beautiful, amazing views. Like they have them up at the top of the hill, so they're also strategically placed that you can see like the best views out of these temples. Like it's overlooking the entire island. It's like a horseshoe kind of. So every like viewpoint you would go to is like all the way up. It's like at the top of the island and you can just look down and you see the ocean, you can kind of see other islands and just amazing rock formations. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful. Sounds like you're living in the clouds. You are living in the clouds. <laughs> you're I, you're above I've pictures and it's like you can see it's cool. So the hills are like coming through the mm -hmm. clouds below. Yeah. So little islands in the clouds. Yeah, it's That's cool. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I know that we get, uh, if you go out to the Rocky Mountains here, if you're, every so often you can get above the ceiling of the clouds and rise above it in the mountains, but you're, you're exhausted by the time you're up there that you're mm -hmm. not ap really appreciating it. And I've got, I've got a friend that flies helicopters that I'd love to get him on the podcast at some point and just talk about the views and the experiences he has within nature. It gets me excited when you have these experiences that aren't, aren't so Western. Yeah. It's the Western is, I like, oh, it's so, you it's just a bubble. You know, the Western world is Canada and the United States are in a bubble. Which is funny because these so the West, and in not just North America West, but like you get Western Europe, and mm -hmm. it they have that real philosophy of capitalism, and there's nothing wrong with capitalism. Um, it 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 definitely has its spot, but what we focus on a lot of the times isn't so much the experience in Western culture as it is the material portion of it, and that's where it's interesting that you the part that you came out of that. Uh, festival of the moon, full moon there, you were disappointed to see the volume of garbage after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that, I think that's a good thing to like talk about is that it's not actually the end part that's important. I think it's the journey through it because you could do so many amazing things if it's just available to you, but if you actually have to work for it and like it's a difficult journey to get there, that's what's going to make it resonate with you and make it important and a key like moment in your life if you have to it's about the journey not actually the end point I think I, I agree I know I was at a funeral a long time ago that they said the most important part of the tombstone was not the dates that the person was born and died on it's that little dash that connects them that little mark between those dates is the one that is all of the triumphs and challenges and journey that that person went on 
all summed up in a little dash. Mm-hmm. And it's not the A to B. I agree completely. It isn't the A to B that's the prime focus. It's what you're picking up along that way. It's not the A and B and end and start points. It's that journey. Mm-hmm. I agree. So um, after I was supposed to go to New Zealand, I made a very rash decision based on, I think, three people that I met told me that Sri Lanka was very beautiful and I wanted to learn how to surf. So I booked a flight to Sri Lanka, told my mom I was going to Sri Lanka, and... How's your mom dealing with all of this? My mom, I don't actually have no idea how she survived this. I feel really bad for her, but she did. My mom probably was the most stressed out of anybody in the end. Like, oh God, I honestly feel horrible for her. Because (laughs) keep in mind, I left, like, when I left... This is, like, like, I think the backstory is just, like, I think about this, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I actually did this. It's, it was so ballsy, and I just, at the time, I didn't think about that, but now I'm like, oh, I feel kind of bad, actually. So, before I left, my dad was in the hospital, and I think what you need to understand is that when you're living with somebody who has cancer for, so I was in grade 12 now, so he had cancer for, I think, three years before he got actually diagnosed. So he was living with cancer for two or three years before. So, you know, that's a lot of suffering that comes with that. So, um, so I was in high school and I, when I was in high school, it was like, uh, and it was a very difficult time for me to be in high school. And I was very fed up with people around me. I was not a happy person. I was quite miserable. And so just that like internal misery, I think, is what drove me to do this, like, crazy stuff. Like, I don't even know why I did this, but I think that's what it is, what drove me. I was was unhappy with my life, and I knew this would make me happy, so I did it. So prior to me leaving, my dad was in the hospital, and he was very, very sick. So I was supposed to leave, or I wanted to leave in September, but then I, I put it off because I wanted to spend more time with my family, and, you know, because... He was sick for a very, very long time, and it's hard to, like, they don't give, nowadays, they don't give cancer patients, like, a, what's it called, um, like, a time point. They don't do that. Okay. So they, they like, they don't um, give you a certain amount of period of time. So they just say, oh, well, it's too hard to predict. So there was no end point to when we kind of thought, like, oh, is this going to go on for a really long time? So when I left on my trip, my last stop was to the hospital, and I, I didn't know. Like, I was supposed to be gone for up to a year. So I, was, I went into this trip thinking that I would, my dad would probably pass away while I was gone, or he would still be here when I was gone. So I had to leave with this in my head that I could probably not see my dad again. Wow, and that's a weight. It, yeah, it, it is a weight, but it's also, I think it's really good because I made my peace with this situation I had made peace with this situation for quite a long time and I didn't have the best relationship with my dad prior to this and this experience made us not perfect in any way but we had an understanding we knew it was going to happen we were very aware about everything that has happened and that we both talked about me leaving and that this could be the last time that I saw him and I made that decision. It was a long decision to make, but I was ultimately okay with that. And I made my peace with the situation. So that was my last stop before I left. And 
I think now that I'm looking back at it, I was like, oh, I can't believe I did that. But it's also, I did, I did have the opportunity after I came home. He still was alive. So that was nice. I got to, you know, be there for the period of time. But yeah, I don't know how my mom dealt with this. I really don't because she had two other kids, one daughter who was, I think, like, like on a, I don't know how long the time schedule was ahead, but we were on completely different time zones. And then a husband in the hospital. And I, was, I, I have so much respect for her because I have no idea how like she managed all that. Well, I have a, a good idea that some of that multitasking and, and stress management uh, you've kind of inherited. Oh, definitely. It's you... When I would message you when you were in different parts of the world, you always seemed so calm and so at peace at where you were at. Yeah, you. That's. I think that's the most thing that I am extremely like. I'm very content. I'm not. I'm very stable, and that's. I think the most valuable. Um, uh, like you talk about like inspiration and all that stuff, and I think I'm very content. Like wherever I go. I, I, I'm content now. I never used to be this way where I can go in any direction I want, whether that's in a positive way, whether I'm dealing with negative circumstances or something that is off-putting. I can go in any direction that I want right now. And I think that's... I, whatever, I don't know if I'm calm. I think I'm kind of... Sometimes I'm a little spacey. I'm pretty hectic. But inside, I know I'm, I'm content and I can move in any direction. Interesting to see that when I talk to you, that you've got several thoughts going on all at once and it's trying to harness which thought you're actually wanting to go in any direction mm -hmm. you can take it in any direction but you're right you are calm you when you're sitting across from me here and we're talking about what's unfolded and kind of unpack what the experiences you've had you are so relaxed and when I talked to you about coming on the podcast, you were really relaxed about it and you really welcomed the opportunity to sit down and, and talk about this stuff. Is there, is there a routine in your life that you, you kind of work at go, working through that you can relay why you're calm? Like, are you meditating? Is it what you're eating? Is it who's around you? Um, well, I, I never, I used to be, I used to have horrible, horrible anxiety and I used to have very bad panic attacks. So I never used to be this way. And especially in my like grade 12 year, it was the worst I have ever been. I was not an unhappy person. I was, my anxiety was through the roof. Like I was, you couldn't have a conversation with me. Well, you maybe you could on a surface level, but internally I was like just exploding everywhere. And I think being in high school and having these circumstances and extenuating circumstances um, and being young too, like you don't learn about how, how to manage anxiety in school. You might get like a five minute mental health break if your teacher is nice enough, but you don't learn how to and it's funny manage that. We, you don't joke about it when you live it and you actually are, are trying to figure out legitimate answers, but I remember going into classes as a substitute teacher and having to teach that part of the health curriculum and nobody takes it seriously then. Mm -mm. It's, you don't, it's almost like you don't have enough life experience to understand the value in those 
teachings. No, and I think it's I think that's for a reason too because you could try and we could have a conversation and there could be a third person here who doesn't understand mm -hmm. completely doesn't understand they won't understand until they have an experience that themselves so maybe they don't have anxiety maybe they don't have panic attacks and actually this is kind of interesting I, I don't know if my mom I don't think she would care if I say this but like my mom um, when I left she's like oh my god I had my first panic attack and I like I don't know how like you because she knows that I, she knew that I would have panic attacks and I would talk to a therapist at school the odd time, but she's like, I had my first panic attack. I had like, she's like, how, like, how did you deal with this? Like, how could you do this? And I was like, and this is coming from a woman that's watched her husband go through terminal cancer, a daughter traveling the world, two younger siblings that are at home and she's keeping it all together and she's just now having a panic attack. I know and I was like, see like even like even that you could you you could talk to her and try I could I would try and explain the feeling and she just would never understand until you walk that same thing. And I think it's good that way because not everybody should know what that is that experience feels like and everyone experiences it on different levels until more people actually understand that it's like that is like a response inside that wherever that is coming from I'm not, I'm not sure but that is a very real thing and the hype like have you ever had a panic attack or of course I ended up um, a couple of years ago taking stress leave mm -hmm. and it was because I was having these these horrible panic attacks it wasn't a shortness of breath or like some some cases where I've heard where it's like you just can't breathe or everything's racing Mine was my shoulder muscles were tense so tight that they felt like they were ripping off my my bones. A tension headache that would just go as if it was a vice tightening around my head. Mm -hmm. And it really, for me, the anxiety was triggered. The more I thought about the future and how, how uncertain it is and not having any control of what was coming at me made it worse. Yeah, that's... I know it like the I would do like when I'm in social situations and I would try and like prevent I would feel it coming and I would try and prevent it so I would clench my jaw and I would tense my body so I'd sit there like fully tense and I'd, I'd bite my cheeks and okay. eventually like I'd like all these things like you would on the surface like you just think I'm sitting like so like prim and proper just sitting in the back <laughs> of the class but then like internally I'm biting my cheeks and like causing pain causing and pain and I have like I still have such horrible headaches like that's my thing my jaw tenses and I like stiffen up and so it, it comes in different ways and yeah so I think just experiencing that and then leaving and then coming back I've learned to de actually deal with that so instead of I look at why is this happening to me? Like, what is triggering this? Why is it triggering me? How can I fix it? So I kind of, I go through steps and it's, it's, it's kind of, that's just how I do it. I, I try yeah. and meditate a lot too, but you know, people have to figure out what works for them. Like you can have, you can go online and you can look up so there's so many resources you can look into, but at the end of the day, you need to figure out what works for you and how to cope with it yourself. Absolutely. I know for myself, it's I've tried the meditating part. I'm good with a guided meditation. And if it's coaching and that I can just focus on someone's 
else's voice it kind of keeps me on track to that that target of not allowing my brain to get overactive and i i jumble or not jumble i fight with 50 ideas going on at once and which one is going to come out i'm not sure mm -hmm. so guided meditation works for me but what i found really for myself that has been the game changer was walks mm, yes walking everywhere and it came out i was i should take better notes on where i come up with these readings that i come across it was regarding a uh it was parental advice on what some cultures do for disciplining their children and it was an african culture that instead of striking the child when they do something bad or correct it they go on long walks and the parent takes them on these long walks that it opens up the line of communication and i know that for myself it was going on these walks and unpacking every thought and i had walked myself until i was physically exhausted but my mind was at peace Mm -hmm. Because I had processed all the thoughts I needed, and I know we live in a great time right now. I I run around with a flip phone, but no one needs to know that. <laughs> and there I am busy talking, and everyone thinks that I I'm just simply talking on a smartphone with a headset. And so I would literally talk to myself the whole time through these walks, and discovered that my my best friend is myself and my biggest challenge in life is myself and that's actually completely right like your biggest challenge is yourself because nobody really talks about like your inter well i guess people do talk about it but it's not commonly talked about your internal demons have your ultimate hold over you like if you go with yourself, who's actually blocking you from doing everything, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Yeah, there's people who are obstacles, but at the end of the day, you're deciding what you are capable of, and you are the one who is putting in the effort to do whatever you want. Because we're capable of pretty much anything. It's just how much you want to apply to get to that goal. Does anything scare you? <sighs> Oh, God, someone, I, I was just, me and my boyfriend, I was like, nothing scares me, and he was like, you get well, scared. Well, at this, at this point, yeah, you might be physically scared if something jumped out at you, and there's that part, but, like, I mean, like, in a bigger context, is there anything that scares you? Um, yes and no. I'd say there are things that scare me, like, I am scared of, oh, I don't know, yes and no. Like, I'm not scared. I would say, I would, I'm more, f uh, no, I'd say, no. Like, I'm sure spiders, snakes, but I can just avoid right. them. But, like, ultimately, I think pe most people fear the future and, like, life. That's what, like, anxiety is. It's fear of the future. Depression is, you're in the past. And, yeah, I, I try and actually ground myself in the present all the time. And that's. All you actually can do is you can live in the pre like we're not in the future, we're not in the past now. Yes, the past influences our future, but ultimately we're living in the present at all times. If we would take away like all time, 
through, because, you know, time, I could get into time being a, co a social construct, but I'm not going <laughs> to do that. But, like, actually... You're coming back on, so we're going to unpack that at some point. We're going to totally uh, explore that topic. Yeah, but if you take away everything, like, I didn't... That I guess that's kind of, like, when I was traveling and stuff, being on a completely different time zone than everybody else, I was... I, like I never I didn't go on my phone I didn't I I didn't like going on my phone I I just lived purely in the present and that's the most peaceful thing that I try and do now is I just live in the present no matter if it's good if it's bad if I have anxiety I like I sit with that anxiety if I have fear about the future I write it down I I just live in the present because that's all you can do you can be you could be worried about your assignment being due, but just, I don't know. I try, I, it's not as simple as I make it, but then it's again. Not, it's not at all that simple. And you're, you're onto something that I need to be a little bit more mindful of. Living in the present is something that I, 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 attempt, to, I attempt to do the best I can, but it's not perfect at this point. And uh, my biggest fear is legacy. Hmm. Yeah. I what? think that's, I, I, yeah. And when you're telling me that you focus on the present so purely, that's leaving a legacy. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I guess, I, I, I stay in the present, but I, it's not saying I don't plan for the future. I'm, oh, of course not. I'm hyper-organized. I'm... I am very OCD about planning things, and but also that is just living in the present. Like you don't, when does you start a plan now? It all starts now, but. And you're adaptable. Yeah. Well, I. You've given yourself enough grace in this whole process of traveling the world, that this is the part where I really feel that calm that you've encountered with yourself, is you've discovered grace for yourself that the the plans that you put together. As much as you wanted to see them straight through, you allowed them to adapt and allowed them to have that organic flow to them. Yeah, I think that's why a lot of people experience so many things is because they're so set on plans. Like, this is not an example of what a lot of people go through, but um, just for an example, I like when I was traveling, I had initially I had a plan what I wanted to do, but then when I got there, I just literally didn't have a plan. I made the most sporadic decisions that maybe I shouldn't have been, but I did. And it took me to like Sri Lanka. And mm -hmm. my, I was told not to go to Sri Lanka, actually. So um, my, uh, somebody who I know told me that I shouldn't go there because it's not safe for women. And so my mom found out about that and that didn't, she didn't like that. But a lot of people that I, met on my trip were like, no, you need to go to Sri Lanka. It's so beautiful. It's incredible. They have amazing surfing and all this stuff. So then I did go there and in Cambodia too, that was a just complete like sporadically decision that I made. How do you set yourself up to make sure that you're guarded as best as you can? Because you can't live every day in fear and not do experiences like you. You're coming back here with phenomenal memories of your time in those places if you would have listened to the fear you would have 
you wouldn't have any of those memories. So how do you kind of safeguard yourself in those situations? Um, well, a lot of people, when I was, interestingly enough, when I was leaving, a lot of people, it was a lot of negative things that I was hearing. And I don't know if that's just because I'm, I was an 18 year old, five foot 10 blonde girl going to a third world country that everybody thought was, you know, like we don't have a good uh, idea here about what's outside of Canada and what's residing outside of North America. We have a lot of stigma around things. And so that there was a lot of fear when I was going, like there was, I wasn't scared, but I was scared of what people were thinking of me. And once I got there, I was like, oh my God, why, why was this, why, why do they care? Like, and I guess, I guess that's just caring about me as a person, but I was like, just the life outside of what I was experiencing, it just like blew me open and I finally realized like I stopped caring about what everybody thinks. At some level I, I do care about what people think, but it doesn't influence me in ways that I wouldn't be happy. You've, you've given yourself that foothold in life that you still respect everyone's thoughts and opinions, but ultimately you're starting to go with what feels right. Yeah, well, you can't cater to the idea of what your, you, how do I phrase this? You cannot cater to the idea of who you are to other people continually. Does that make sense? Of like, course it does. I just had a conversation over Thanksgiving with my, one of my middle-aged, <laughs> one of my middle-aged nephews. I've got uh, 15 nieces and nephews and Tim is an incredibly gifted human being that has a passion for acting and really loves humanity and loves storytelling, but he has anxiety being an extrovert. Mm -hmm. He's watching his cousins at the moment all get their first jobs and get their licenses and kind of go out there and he is, he's getting hung up. And he, so I asked him, what, what's hanging you up? You're watching everyone else do it. What's what's going on in your head that is preventing you from making the next step? And his response, and I think we're all guilty of this at some point in life, is he wants everyone to like him. Yeah, that's, I used to, oh God. I think about like, I, I, I kind of think about myself as in like my past life and who I am now in my past life was completely and utterly obsessed about being liked by everybody but the thing is is you don't need to be liked by everybody because a lot of people don't actually like themselves so they actually put that on you so that's fascinating because i never even thought of that one yeah so if you're being like in the, in the back pocket you're right if you not don't, everyone yeah. likes themselves no and when people don't like themselves they often uh, put that on you and then they expect you to live up to that unattainable goal that they can't even attain themselves so I just I really try and focus on myself and I don't know if that's kind of a narcissistic but I truly just focus on myself like when I look at everybody else's problems and like you you can help other people work through their problems but you can't you can't change anybody except for yourself on a surface level like so I just try, I try and build myself up in a positive way and I not build myself up but I just prov like make sure that I have the 
stepping stones to be able to build like build build a like a base like you need everybody needs to build a foundation for themselves before they start going like I don't people don't even know themselves and then they're going into a career where they're unhappy and they complain about going to school and I'm like well you you're unhappy because you didn't take time to breathe you didn't take time to fully experience life you're just going into you know you're committing to a four-year degree where you're complaining about it for the first two years and I'm like why are you doing this Mm-hmm. Like you were, like people don't realize how in control their life, people like they so actually are. Essentially, that you're kind of identifying and making it a real conscious effort of understanding what your your core values are. Yeah, you need to stop. I you definitely need to establish what you deem important because once you start, you can't do everything. You can't have everybody like you because not everybody has the same viewpoints because then you're starting to attain different personalities and different attitudes with different people and that's very, very yes. draining. And I, well, when I had the conversation with Tim, I turned to him and I said, do you really want everyone to like you? And he goes, absolutely, yes, I want everyone to like me. And I smiled and looked at him and I said, really, you want rapists and racists and murderers and thieves to all like you well uncle reese when you put it in that context (laughs) no (laughs) then no i'm like the thing is is though there's so many people like that like there is racists and like especially now well it's not just now but i think it's more there's a polarizing thing going on in the world right now and we're bombarded with all sorts of messages and it this topic came up the other day uh with with a friend of mine that we were talking that it was regarding masks the value of wearing a mask in a public spot to prevent the transmission of covid people are getting information that's being circulated around social media in this unending loop the the articles that have been presented to me about how masks have no value were articles that were written back in March. And we're now sitting at the end of the 2020 year with all sorts of other things going on. We're the most divided we've been in history right now, actually. I watched a documentary about it's about social media and how our information, we have no credible information because you could look up whatever you wanted to know on the internet right now and there would be a scholarly article or some sort of article that seems scholarly mm-hmm. that supports what you're saying. Of course. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what is true and what is false. It's just... It comes um, back on your values. Yeah, it's your values. Like, what do you want to do for society? Because people, people are, say that like the masks are a control thing, and I, it's very political. But like, if you people like you are being controlled already. It's not a mask of that's course. making you controlled. Like, yeah, if you're participating in in any community, you're you're controlled by the the unwritten social cues yeah, of that culture. Exactly. What do you value right now? I will give you five things that I value. Um, Internal stability. Mm -hmm. Open-mindedness. I try and keep an open mind everywhere I go because we need more open-minded people in this universe. Um, 
I, you're, you're talking about grace, and I'm going to add that in because that actually um, encompasses, I think we need to cut ourselves, we need to give ourselves more grace as humans. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free no. card, but you know there's those honest moments in life where you tried your best and it didn't go the way you wanted. Mm-hmm. And if you take that and learn from it, that, that's grace. Yeah, and that is exactly true. Yeah, we need to... Uh, we need to have more compassion for each other. Grace and compassion, I think, would go hand in hand. Um, passion, you need, I, I have to have a passion or else I get bored. Like, I need to exert my creativity in a way that is, you know, I'm adding something. Every day you have an opportunity to add to this world. Yeah, of and course. And it's so easy. It it's is. It's so easy with this technology and even with COVID and everything, like you, we're so separated, but yet we're so connected. We're more connected now than we've ever been in known history. And this is the part that excites me. So I started this podcast because I love the idea of the potential of collaborating with other people. Mm-hmm. And at the end of every single one of my podcasts, I love to extend out the invitation for the two of us at some point to come together and collaborate on something and just wondering do you have any thoughts on where you'd like to or where you might see any potential collaboration between the two of us well i am currently working on an idea i always like to keep myself busy with creative outlets so right now i'm working on an idea of graphic t-shirts and hoodies and the message that i want to convey with this is psychological terms that a lot of the general public are not aware with of of and so each graphic tee or hoodie or whatever we're gonna have i don't know maybe start out with just two different prints or whatever okay so each one i want to convey a message like um i don't know this is just around do you know like the term simulacra simulacrum so it's oh god you're giving me homework it's it's quite a okay i'll pick a different one because this is a big one um i'll just say I don't know, your, your psyche. Okay. So the, we'll just say this term is psyche. So then I would get like a little print and get, say you're an artist. This is I where am, you yes. would come in and ah. you would go and we would work together on creating some sort of image that would um, encompass the psyche and the different and the complexity of it and somehow put that onto a piece of art and then write a description in a little like cue and put that with the t-shirt and so you know like because everybody loves consuming we're consumer culture so you know mm-hmm. what's better than educating people through Consumer. consumerism why not it's gonna get your messages out. yeah and that's you know, at the end of the day you know people want to get their messages out but some you know just doing it through that way making a creative outlet but yet conveying an important message that people should I love it. You're merging, yeah. you're merging your capitalist uh, uh, heritage <laughs> with your newfound, well, not even newfound, your rediscovered and highly valued education and humanity. Yeah. You know, like, like for example, like the ego, you know, we, I'm not sure many people are super aware of the ego and our masks that we put on Which is kind of funny, though, when you think about it. They're not aware of their ego, but that's part of... It's kind of like, I think that's part of the 
problem, but no, I want to, there's this, do you know, like Freud? Of course. Um, yeah, Sigmund Freud. So he has this theory, the iceberg theory that like, we, I should pull up a picture or something. But anyway, so it's the iceberg theory and the ego is the top of the iceberg and then it goes, to, mm, I think the ID. Yes. And the super ego and that's a deeper underwater. So it's like the unconscious things that drive us permeate lower to the bottom of the iceberg and then up top is that ego that is kind of our mask and everything so i i, I don't know what i'm going to do with that but i'd like to work that into some one of my designs because i think people need to realize that we like I, you put on a mask every single day and Each, it depends who's walking in, in yeah, front of you and who you're talking to i'm like sometimes it's so exhausting like talking to people because you have to put on a complete mask like you can't be yourself in front of everyone or else you might get fired or something. <laughs> and of course because there's there's a time and a place to be yourself for sure yeah but you're right it's shedding of these masks that become very daunting for a lot of a lot of us and i know that in the past you sometimes don't know which mask to put on no and I it's almost overwhelming that you've got so many choices of masks you or at a loss of which one to put on. I, when I met my wife, we our very first date was kind of funny. We decided that we were going to meet at, in Bow Island, which is a very small town between the two cities we were living in. She lived in Taper and I lived in Medicine Hat. We decided the halfway point was Bow Island. Now, for those that don't understand how tiny Bow Island is, I believe it's a population of 8,000. Uh, forgive me for uh, if that number is wrong, but it's roughly about that. It, when I, re if I remember it correctly, on the number three highway that goes through the center of that little town, there is a place called Huck Finn's, which is a convenience store with a little old town gas pump out in front. And we met, we decided that was the easiest marking point to meet up. So we decided that that was where we would meet. And my wife got there early. And so she decided to go into the store and I pulled in and I was ahead of our meeting time anyway. So we were both early. I get there and I see her walking up to me and we introduce ourselves. This was the very first time we met face to face. Before that, we had been communicating through telephone calls and a couple of text messages. Mm -hmm. So I asked her if she'd like a drink and we thought a drink and go for a walk would be the best way to get to know each other. And there we were stuck in front of the coolers, picking out a drink, and we didn't know what to say, and the silence was awkward, and I just turned to her and I said, wow, here we stand in front of uh, the cabinet of indecision. And that's like these masks. Mm -hmm. It's You have too many masks, and it becomes daunting on what you're going to put on. I think, yeah, I think that's why people have a lot of existential crises because they actually don't know who they are because they're just making up masks to see, you know, just to please other people. And then you have to go back to your roots or rediscovering what you would like to be in your roots. When I, when I talk about things I value and was asking you about what you value, I really value my time with you and the conversations we have. Our raw recording time is just a little over an hour at this point, and I really would love for you to come back in studio and us have a couple more of these sessions. I don't feel that I can speak to you enough. 
Yeah, we could have long conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're they're interesting because they cut they're deep and they cover so many topics. I really just have valued my time with you. It was a moment where we could both purely be in the present. Mm -hmm. And I thank you so much for today. I look forward to our future visits. Everyone, this is Re7 signing out. Jenny.